IMUR Podcasting is a company made and designed to share Australian stories. If you have an amazing family history or want to know more about it, please get in touch via the IMUR Podcasting Facebook or Instagram page. Episode one. This is the first part of a two-podcast series. Some of the information has been pulled from family stories and opinions and may not suit all that is in legal documents. Please take this as a family story and fictional in nature. Chapter 1. Meeting Mazza. Welcome to Australia. The land of deported criminals and the land of the oldest living culture in the world. A country that is both old and also very, very new. It was not so long ago that Aboriginal people were the only ones to be walking on this soil. When Captain Cook and the English fleets founded this absolute paradise, they decided not to live here. They decided to make it a prison and to deport all those pesky pieces of crap that they didn't want anymore. Can you believe this happened only 235 years ago? And Australia has only been known as a country for just over 120 years. To put that in perspective, 22 years ago was the Sydney Olympics. Kathy Freeman sprinting down the strip. 20 years ago was the Twin Towers. We've seen the World Trade Centres crash down. And it was just 41 years ago that Bob Hawke was made Prime Minister. Maybe some of you listening weren't alive for a few of these events, but for the rest... They don't feel like that long ago, which shows that 120 years of Australia is very young. Although the Dreamtime and Indigenous stories run from thousands of years ago, for those who hail from criminals in the UK, maybe immigrants from Europe, maybe those who hail from cigarette thieves throughout Italy, well, these things only happened merely two generations ago. Yet not many Aussies seem to know much about their own history. Now, growing up, we might know if we have Chinese heritage, or Italian, or Scottish, or Irish. But considering this happened to our own family not that long ago, it's baffling that we're so clueless as to just how we got here. I stand guilty as a person that really had no clue. I always knew I was half Italian on my mum's side, and my dad's side was some sort of white mix of English, Scottish, Irish, and German. But for the most part, I never knew how my family got here. I always assume a little walk caught a boat from Italy. That's about as far as I knew. So with some help from my mum and extended family, we took a deep dive to get answers to that very question. How the hell did we end up a bunch of bogan half-Italians throughout Queensland, Australia? Throughout this podcast, you'll hear the voices of some of my extended family. One of them is my 94-year-old great-aunt Nellie Fresta. Her real name, Sebastina. She's an amazing woman who resides in Bundaberg, Queensland. As English is a second language, her son Ned Fresta helps with some of the translation. Nellie is the daughter of Stefano, someone you'll get to know very well throughout the course of this story. The name Mazza is actually pronounced as Matza, which is loosely translated to the word hammer or mallet and is often used as a word to describe kill or murder doesn't exactly seem like a good thing and it's not exactly clear how long ago the family was given this name. What is clear though is that it wasn't given for a good reason. After reading and researching, it didn't take long to start getting some stories. Stories of homelessness, survival and escape. But when I continued to dig further, 
we found out about horrific stories that led to our being here. From fathers burying seven of their own children to murder at the hands of backyard abortionists and how the Sicilian Mafia struck my family in a way that changed everything. Although Sicilian translation and the changing of stories may impact some of the details, there is no doubt this is an incredible story. This is the story of Mazza. IMUR Podcasting is brought to you by our major sponsors, Bells Plum and Gas. For all new home plumbing and gas inquiries in the Townsville region, please email bellsplumandgas at live.com.au. Chapter 2. Per la familia sanguinamo. The year was 1920 in the city of Giardi, Sicily. A relatively small city in modern times with a population of just over 27,000 currently. Giardi is situated just 30 kilometres north of Catania. Catania is a large port city with over 300,000 people. So next to this, Giardi sits quietly. It is known for its ancient buildings, many of which still sit unfinished due to town-funded projects falling down historically. To this day, you may still find old arenas with walls missing. The beautiful cobblestone paths and magnificently designed concrete infrastructure make Giardi something you might have seen on a postcard. Giardi is the setting of where this story begins. The story of my great-great-grandfather, Stefano Mazza. Stefano was born on the 2nd of January 1901. He'd been brought up tough, with loss and heartbreak being ingrained into his family. Stefano's parents had nine children, with only one reaching their 40th birthday, and another whose location is still unknown. Seven out of nine of the children had died before the age of 40. One is said to have been a handy runner and was just 12 years old when he collapsed during a school athletics carnival. By the time he was treated, he had died from appendicitis. Another made the decision to travel abroad, Dreams of America had him save his money to board a ship there. The last his parents heard from him was in the form of a letter on board that ship. They would never hear from him again. Some of Stefano's other siblings did make it to adulthood, one of which was his sister. One night, she was gathered with her parents while they fried potato in a pan. This was known as a great treat where the family would sit around, fry potato and share stories often late at night with drinks, laughter and enjoyment. One night, Stefano's sister laughed at a joke and inhaled a small piece of potato. This was lodged in her lungs and eventually killed her. There are so many stories of this surrounding Stefano's family that simply end in tragedy. The Mazza clan was breaking down from a large family to barely any. Stefano's father is remembered for once saying it should be illegal to bury your own children. Now, although heartbreak struck Stefano's family, it's his story where things get magnificent. Stefano was born and raised in the town of Giardi during a time that was quite calm in Italy considering the wild history there. Italy was under the power of Giolotti, 
who made big moves to end universal male suffrage, reduce state debt, and bring in social and labour legislation. All the while, the Italian military have been looking to expand. They'd recently made attempts to invade and conquer other nations. They were successful in some cases, taking over Somalia, but failed in others, as they attempted to take over Ethiopia, which is now known as the first Italo-Ethiopian War. Stefano grew up with the values of many Sicilian families, that blood is thicker than water, and everything you do is for the family. As Stefano grew into a young man, he developed an interest in the military and eventually made the decision to pursue this interest. He was also quite musically inclined and took interest in the violin. Now, unfortunately, there was far less money in music than there is these days. So the military is where Stefano paved a career. He grew to be a part of the Bersaglieri in the Royal Italian Army. This is a specialised army crew that were implemented for quick in-and-out jobs during wars. They were known for wearing carciali feathers on their wide-brimmed hats and their skill in knife warfare and up-close combat. War among nations was in a very delicate state by the time Stefano had become a part of the Italian military, with World War I ending only two years prior. But Stefano was as passionate and as skilled as they come, and quite the catch. Hence, it is no surprise that love was next on the agenda for this young man. Chapter 3. Tropea. As a young soldier, Stefano found love in the form of a Sicilian beauty named Giuseppina. Giuseppina roughly translates to the English name Josephine. Josephine had long dark hair and olive skin. Stefano would often see Josephine around town wearing beautiful summer dresses as she joined her family at some of the town's finest restaurants. She was from a family that lived fairly comfortable and although not poor, she was in a class that sat above Stefano. As any classic Shakespeare story goes, things weren't smooth sailing for the pair. One day after seeing this girl several times throughout Giardi, Stefano took a deep breath and finally asked Josephine out on a date. She was interested right away, and the pair went out on their first date. They went out for a lovely dinner. They spent time walking hand in hand through the streets of Giardi. They'd fallen in love immediately. After just one date, they both knew they needed to see each other again and made plans to do so. It was after a few dates that Josephine asked Stefano to meet her parents. They scheduled for Stefano to head out to her family home for dinner. This would be the first time he'd seen where Josephine lived and the first time that he met an interest parents. Stefano arrived in a more well-off part of town than his own. He wore his finest jacket, finest suit pants. He shined his shoes. His hair was done to absolute perfection and he was ready to make a great impression. The house was far bigger than anything Stefano had ever lived in, and the nerves rose. He walked in, calmed himself, approached the brown wooden door, and gently knocked. Josephine came running to the door, and the family met Stefano for the first time. The parents' names were Alessandro and Saverina Trapea. They got through the awkwardness of a family dinner, and Stefano made his way home with a bit of a sick feeling in his stomach. He knew right off the bat 
that Josephine's family did not approve of him. He felt it. And when he next met with Josephine, it was confirmed. When she made it known that her father had little to no respect for the fact Stefano was a military man. Confused by the situation and already in love with Josephine, the pair were forced to sneak around on dates, meet up by chance at the local dancers, this was some and hope to business. run into each other. And Stefano was well aware around. that if they were caught, his life was at risk. See, this wasn't just a classic case of being scared of your potential future father-in-law. Josephine's father, Mr. Alessandro Trapea, was a high-up member of a well-known and extremely powerful Sicilian mafia. To Trapea, this feather-wearing military man was nothing but a piece of scum. A man who had no place in his home or with his daughter. The Trapea name, although not at the top of this particular mafia family, does run rather deep within Sicilian Mafia. It can be traced all the way to Chicago, with some crime families still carrying the name. There are stories of some relatives of this family that fled Sicily to start new lives in the USA, even going as far as to abandon their own wives and children. Nevertheless, Trapea was a strong name, and Alessandro was a powerful man. So you'd understand if fear was struck through the heart of Stefano. Most men would have left Josephine to find another woman and leave her to find a man more suitable to her family. Stefano didn't do that. He was not that way inclined. See, he was someone trained in a very skilled style of combat. He knew how to handle himself in war and on the streets. He had a band of brothers from the Bersaglieri and a stash of swords that live in his ceiling. Stefano was not going to let the potential love of his life, Josephine, get away out of fear of her father. Even though the hatred between Stefano and Trapea was mutual, Stefano wanted to try and work it out for the sake of Josephine. He wanted to gain the respect of Trapea and prove to him that he would do nothing but good for his daughter. For months this went on. Stefano trying to approach the family, Josephine begging her father for his blessing. But it was all in vain. Try as they might, the Trapea family refused. Josephine and Stefano at this point, were more in love than ever. It had been almost a year of the pair trying to convince her family. A year of sneaking around took its toll on them, and they finally decided it was time to make a change. They came up with an idea. An idea to elope. They would marry in secret at the local church, with no other family present. The plan being that if they are married, it would be done, and the Trapea would have to accept Stefano as a part of the family. Of course, in Mafia, family is everything. Well, funnily enough, Trapea didn't see Stefano as one of his family, and this did no favours with him at all. In fact, he felt bitterly disrespected. He hated Stefano, and now his own daughter carried his name, the name Mazza. The thought to kill Stefano went through his mind. But the Mafia worked through strict rules, and although furious... His daughter had now married this man. His options sat in front of him. They were to kill Stefano and leave his daughter a widow, classing Josephine as not prime marriage material. He could try and force her to divorce Stefano, which would also have the same impact, or bring Stefano Mazza into the Trapea Mafia family. As to not devalue his daughter's marriage potential, the offer was made for Stefano to leave the Bersaglieri and join the Mafia. Stefano refused this offer, 
Trepea followed up by a demand, demanding he become a part of the Mafia family. Stefano was dedicated to the Bersaglieri. It was everything he'd worked for. Could he give up his honour and his brothers for his wife? He made the decision that it would not be up to Trepea to force that upon him. Stefano stayed in the military and refused to work for this crime organisation. Again, Trepea was furious. This Mazza piece of dirt received more chances at life than any man that disrespected his family before. He gave an ultimatum to his daughter Josephine. Leave Stefano or leave this house. A distraught Josephine was forced to decide between her husband and her family. Now also not to be dictated to by her father, Josephine stood up. She packed her bags and left the family home hand in hand with Stefano. Josephine and Stefano were finally free to an extent. They found their own home to which Josephine kept. Stefano provided a good living and although having to go away for training exercise and war often, was able to have a happy life with just he and Josephine. They lived together happily for six months and decided it was time to start a family. It was the year 1922 that Josephine would fall pregnant. Josephine and Stefano were overjoyed and although the risks of childbirth were high during this time, they celebrated. Over the next nine months, things would travel rather smoothly. The pair still remaining separate to the Trepea family were able to go it alone. And in late 1922, Josephine gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Sarah Mazza. They had officially started a family. Stefano, Josephine and Sarah were all going well. Their independent life was flourishing. It wasn't long until they figured this three could become four, and before they knew it, Josephine was pregnant with their second child. One month pregnant with a 12-month-old was a pretty tricky time for Josephine. Tricky, but manageable. Until news came. Stefano returned home from work and let Josephine know he was to go away for training exercises abroad. This didn't simply mean a couple of weeks, and Stefano would be home. To go abroad would mean Stefano would be gone for most of Josephine's pregnancy. He was to leave in a matter of weeks. Feeling alone and worried, Josephine reached out to her family. They had been on distant terms since she moved out with Stefano and started a family. But when it came down to it, the Trapeas still loved their daughter and also loved their granddaughter they were only getting the chance to meet now. Over the weeks before Stefano left, Josephine and her family spent more and more time together in what seemed to be a healthy relationship. Josephine still adored her family and was glad to be spending time with them. She was also relieved that she would not be alone while dealing with a pregnancy and a young child. The weeks went on and before they knew it, it would be an early morning, just on dawn, that Stefano woke his wife Josephine at two months pregnant. He gave her a kiss on the forehead leant over into the crib, gave Sarah a kiss and said his goodbyes. Bags packed, Stefano said his last I love you before being picked up by a military vehicle waiting outside the house to ship him off. Josephine was understandably devastated and dealing with a lot, which meant she spent most of her time with her family at the Trepea home. Although glad to have his daughter spending time with them, Alessandro still held a strong hatred for Stefano who had disrespected his family time and time again. He loved his daughter, he loved his granddaughter, and if this Stefano Mazza felt the same, he wouldn't abandon them 
to go work for the military. Trapea had grave concerns for his daughter. He knew that danger awaited Stefano and that there was a chance he could be killed while away. If something was to happen to Stefano, what would happen to his daughter? They already had a child. And if Stefano was to be hurt, there would be no way to help feed and clothe Sarah. Now Josephine had a second baby on the way. Josephine may be able to get by with one child tending to, but two children with no husband and no income, there was no way. If her husband died in battle, Josephine would be left with nothing and no way to get by. Trapea despised this thought, which made him even angrier. So angry that Trapea knew he had to address it. No daughter of his would be left on the street, and if something was to happen to Stefano, the only chance for his daughter to survive was if they never had a second child. IMUR Podcasting is brought to you by our major sponsors, Bells Plum and Gas. For all new home plumbing and gas inquiries in the Townsville region, please email bellsplumbandgas at live.com.au. These were apparently dark years in regards to backyard abortions in Sicily. It was a deadly sin to pull a baby from the body of a woman and was illegal until the late 1970s. The numbers of just how many Sicilian women lost their lives as a result of backyard abortions will unfortunately never be known. Scour the internet, search the libraries, and you will not find a single abortion rate until the 1970s. Soon after that, abortion was made legal. Before then, women could face between two and five years imprisonment just for trying to take part in an abortion. The only exception was out of a state of necessity to which the unborn child posed a severe risk to the pregnant mother. Trapea knew there was risk, but was also quite well off. It was well worth the risk to Trapea if it meant he could guarantee his daughter wouldn't end up on the streets. He couldn't rely on Stefano returning home safe. He was convinced that an abortion in the home was essential but to convince his daughter wouldn't be that easy. Trapea had made this decision, but did not have a doctor willing and capable to do the procedure. Instead, he turned to his wife. She was the woman of the house, Saverina, and she knew that she had the skills to carry out the home abortion on her daughter. After a lot of consideration, Trapea finally approached the topic with his daughter. Josephine was now three months pregnant. She was caring for a one-year-old, and all without her husband. Josephine was experiencing a lot of pain in her pregnancy and was worried as to how she could have the baby without Stefano. Would he be back in time for the birth? Would she have to try and tend to the baby and young Sarah on her own? It was hard for Stefano to contact Josephine with technology in the 1920s and impossible for her to reach out to him. Josephine felt completely alone. When her father, Alessandro, approached her and presented the option, it did come as a massive shock. How could she terminate her pregnancy and live with herself? Trapea, not to give in, thought he knew what was best to his daughter and stuck to it and kept having conversations with Josephine. As any good housewife during this time, Josephine's mother, Saverina, 
was in full agreement with her husband, Alessandro. The Trapea pair together made a decision for their own daughter, talking about the risks and what could happen if Stefano was to never return. Josephine was already worried about this, but now this worry turned into something bigger. It had now consumed her. Could she risk the life of Sarah for the life of an unborn child? Was her father right? Could she get by without Stefano? Although nothing had happened to Stefano, she hadn't heard from him in months. After weeks of convincing from her family, she'd suffered heartache, she'd suffered body pain. Josephine made the difficult decision to finally agree with her father, not speak with Stefano, and go ahead with the abortion. It would be several months until Stefano returned to Giardi, to his beautiful wife and two children. He was gone longer than expected, and although sending letters home, he never heard back. In the military at the time, letters were lost frequently, and the chances of getting a letter back to a sneaking, fast-paced group like the Bersaglieri, they were pretty slim. So Stefano was concerned about his pregnant wife naturally, knowing that he was returning after the due date of his second child, But he didn't hold grave concerns, as going without contact for this long wasn't that uncommon. In his military uniform, Stefano was dropped off in the work car to the front door of his humble home. Excited to see his wife, his daughter Sarah, and the little bundle of joy he had not yet met. Instead, he arrived home to something completely different. An empty house. Stefano was naturally a little confused. But with the time Josephine had spent at her parents just before his departure, he figured she must be there, getting help to take care of their new baby. Stefano didn't want to go there, but had to. He dropped his bags and made his way to the Trapea residence. He knew upon arrival that he was still extremely unwelcome and completely hated by Josephine's father. He was cautious while walking up the drive to their home. Stefano, walking up the driveway, had no idea of the decision his wife had made, the state of his unborn child, and the words that were spoken to Josephine while he was away. He was just excited to be home. He was excited to spend time with his family. Just how much his life had changed while being away was soon to be revealed. He was met by Josephine's father, Alessandro. He met him at the door with a look of disdain and hurt in his eyes. As he looked down at Stefano, It was obvious things weren't right. He stared at Stefano and floored him with the news that his precious daughter Josephine had died. She had lost her life as a result of a home abortion. Not only was this planned by her own father, Alessandro Trapea, but carried out by her own mother. Josephine died at the hands of both of her parents. And according to Trapea, it was all the fault of one man, Stefano Mazza. End of episode one. A quick look ahead to episode two. What was to be of the feud between Stefano and Trapea? 
Was the baby ever born? And where did Sarah fall among the chaos that had unfolded? All will be revealed on episode two. podcasting is a company made and designed to share Australian stories. If you have an amazing family history or want to know more about it, please get in touch via the IMUR podcasting Facebook or Instagram page.